So when I was first exposed to Star Wars, I was a kid in Colombia. And back then the films would appear just with subtitles. And when I first saw it, me and my friends started calling R2-D2 Arturito. <laughs> because we couldn't understand what the heck they were saying because they were saying it in English. And we just decided to officially name that droid Arturo and call him by his pet name Arturito. May the fourth be with you, folks. Here we go. Welcome to Geekology 101, and may the 4th be with you, people. It is May 4th, and it is officially Star Wars Day. And um, in case you haven't been introduced before, uh, May 4th, uh, of course, coincides phonetically with the whole thing of uh, the saying in Star Wars of may the force be with you. But in this case, it's the fourth. So, um, yeah, man, it is Star Wars Day and you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on in Disney Plus. Uh, they released um, Rise of Skywalker. They released the uh, the first episode of the Mandalorian behind the scenes documentary. And they released the final episode of Star Wars Clone Wars Season 7, which is also the last episode in the entire series, and I want to cry. All right, so, um, man, Star Wars. After I got to the United States, um, I started watching Star Wars in a bit of a different context. I think once I learned English was when I really started to embrace Star Wars in a different way, because back when I was a kid... In Colombia, it was just fun visuals. You know, it was uh, cool intergalactic space battles and droids and, you know, aliens and all this kind of stuff. But I never got a complete sense of the story. And then middle school came around. So by, I think by like fifth grade, my English was already pretty good. Written and, and read and spoken. And... um I first lived in Miami, and in Miami, that's when I started learning English. Then I lived a year in New York. Then I went back to Columbia for a bit. Then I came back to the U.S., and by fifth grade, I was already there. So when I entered uh, when I entered sixth grade, uh, when I entered middle school, this was the first time that I started really interacting with other fans of Star Wars. Until that point, my appreciation for Star Wars was very much just from afar and very solitary. And what started happening is that during middle school, you know, everybody's like defining themselves. Everybody's figuring themselves out what they like, their style, their hobbies, et cetera, et cetera. That's a very transitionary period for human beings. And at least here in the United States, it is. And so we you know, you would start identifying with other people who had similar interests, you know, in a huge way. I think elementary school is a little bit different. For me, it was at least elementary school for me was like, you know, free for all. Everybody kind of, you know, hung out with everybody sort of thing. But once you got into middle school, that's when I really started uh, finding my own tribes, basically. And uh, that's when I started re like realizing for the first time that the content of Star Wars didn't end with the three movies that had been out up to that point. 
And of course, we are talking about, um, you know, back in the 90s, before the prequel trilogy had been released. Uh, this was back when the only thing we had of Star Wars was the three films and, you know, maybe the Ewok cartoons and a couple of uh, video games. But um, I started seeing guys reading novels of Star Wars. And that got me super intrigued. And so I started asking around and I started going to the library and deliberately looking for these novels. And, you know, all those novels are now not canon anymore. They're considered, not that they were officially announced as canon back then. Uh, everybody really thought that the Star Wars stories would officially, the official canon, just end with the movies. So authors just started going nuts, you know, expanding upon the world that the first three films built. So I start reading some of these novels and I start realizing like, oh my God, you know, there is, there is so much more to this whole Star Wars world than just what I saw on, on film. And I started consuming the novels and I started just getting deep, deep into this mythology of the Star Wars expanded universe. Now, this was the first time that my mind, when it came to fiction and when it came to storytelling, it was the first time that my mind expanded that broad. It was the first time that I started embracing the thought of like, wait a minute, wait a minute. When I leave a movie theater, I, my imagination doesn't have to stop at that point. And what ended up happening is that I would start uh, creating continuations of movies in my head after I got exposed to all these novels from Star Wars because I realized like this was my first time really being exposed to fan fiction um you know fan fiction in the sense that like these people these authors from all these novels they were people who just love the Star Wars universe they got the you know permission I suppose to write content that continued the stories of a lot of these uh characters that we came to love and uh, you know, it just went generations. It went far beyond what we saw on screen. So this was the first time that I that I embraced that aspect of Star Wars and that I started realizing, like, wait, there is an entire galaxy out in this whole made-up world to explore. All these alien species, you know, like, where do they come from? What do, they, what do their planets look like? And then came the re-releases uh before the uh, prequel trilogy was released came the re-released remastered versions of star wars with like added footage and all that stuff and the weird cgi job of the hut uh with han solo hopping over uh all that came out i i i wasn't crazy even back then i wasn't crazy about all those added on scenes uh, particularly because it just felt like, you know, the quality of the effects, like, you know, I think by that point, Jurassic Park had already come out, the first Jurassic Park, and that was such a masterpiece when it came to special effects that when I saw these uh, re-released original trilogy movies, it just felt like, I don't know, cheaper uh, effects. Uh, mind you, I mean, I can't hate on Industrial Light and Magic and whoever else collaborated on these things. I mean... They were working with the technology of the time to take footage that was shot back in the 70s and 80s 
and to basically make it work for release in the 90s. I can't hate on them too much, man. I got to respect the respect the efforts because that's not an easy task. Anyway, so I, I saw that. I think the most important thing for me about these re-releases was not the new content or the remastered special effects. Even if they would have released the same exact original trilogy, I would have gone and watched the thing. The important thing for me was that I didn't get to experience Star Wars in the movie theater when it came out originally because I wasn't even born at that point. When I got the opportunity to experience it, I was not going to let that, let that that opportunity pass me. And I'm so glad I did it because here here's the next milestone for me when it came to Star Wars. Sitting in the theater for A New Hope, which was now being released under the title A New Hope. Um, I'm sitting there and the 20, 20th Century Fox fanfare comes on. So that catches everybody attention, everybody's attention, and everybody starts like settling in, you know, getting ready for the thing. And then the Lucasfilm title comes out and people start cheering. And then the fanfare for Star Wars comes on, you know, and everybody was clapping and, and hooting and cheering while the fanfare and the wall crawl and the crawl was starting to go up the screen. And it gives me chills thinking about it because here's the thing, guys. We, if you don't, if you haven't experienced watching a movie with true fandom, then you're missing out on a cinematic experience unlike any other. What I felt, I felt chills when everybody in that freaking theater started started cheering and clapping just for the opening crawl of Star Wars because it gave me an understanding of, holy cow, I'm not alone, <laughs> you know? I'm not the only one who finds this stuff incredibly amusing. There's an entire world of other people who find this thing inspiring and entertaining and they want more and more of it enough that they would like camp out for hours waiting for the, for the, the screening of this, of this movie. It was my first time experiencing that. And that would be the first of many of those experiences because then of course came empire strikes back and then came uh, return of the Jedi re-released again and then came the prequel trilogy, the new trilogy. And this was mind-blowing because, oh my God, we're going to get new Star Wars content. And it was the same experience. You know, you would, as a Star Wars fan, I would try to be there for either opening night or opening weekend at the very least. So I caught this whole wave of people who were true fans watching this movie. And the other in in incredible thing was that this is the first time that I started realizing, like, wait a minute, there is, there are grown-ass men in this movie theater, along with children and teenagers and young adults. Like, there is every generation represented. And, and, and it was the first time that it dawned on me, like, of course. You know, this thing was created, you know, a decade before I was born or, or so. And these people grew up watching these movies because Star Wars was on for a ridiculous uh, long uh, amount of time in theaters when it first came out. 
And people would were, were delighted by this thing. When the toys started coming out, they started buying that stuff up in truckloads. And that generation grew up with it. And then they taught it to their kids and so on and so forth until it got to the point where I was sitting there watching the, the prequel trilogy in theaters. And boom, you had every generation represented in that movie theater. And that was something that to me was mind-blowing, the power of fiction, the power of storytelling to bring people together was something that impacted me in a, in a huge, huge way. Uh, fast forward a little bit. So all the trilogy hype passes and uh, after the trilogy is re-released, of course, everything is vamped up, right? Everything is, the toy sales are massive now, uh, greater than they've ever been before. Um, you know, comics started happening since way back in the day, but this was the first time that I started actually getting into comics and I started realizing like, oh my God, not only were there novels all along, there were comics of Star Wars and I'm not really sure how I never came across them in comic book shops because I spent, I spent plenty of time there, but, um, it was, it was more eye opening even as that time passed. And then after the prequel trilogy, we thought, okay, that that's it. That's the end. Because this is, you know, this completes basically the whole cycle. This tells us the backstory of Anakin Skywalker and the original trilogy ends with the death and sort of redemption of Anakin Skywalker. And uh, so you figure that's kind of the end of things, right? And for Lucas, for George Lucas, it definitely was. Now, by this point, Star Wars is becoming something greater for me because I think a lot in life about legacy, you know, the legacy I'm going to leave in my kids' minds and in their hearts, the legacy I'm going to leave in the minds and hearts of the people that I interact with, the people that I love, um, and possibly even, you know, uh, for a broader audience. I think a lot about that stuff. And those kinds of thoughts don't just come out of nowhere. For me, they've been fueled by big picture stories like Star Wars. Because when you really think about it, Star Wars is basically telling you the story. It tells many stories, but if there's one primary storyline that is going through from beginning to end, it is of a handful of characters, right? If you go all the way back to Phantom Menace and stretch all the way down to Rise of Skywalker, you're going to see Palpatine's story being told in grand scale. You're going to see Anakin Skywalker's story being told in grand scale and the people who are immediately connected to him, like, you know, Padme, uh, his wife and his two children, uh, Luke and Leia and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, these characters that are immediately tied to these two grand characters. As a whole, I consider, especially with the direction, because of the direction that they went with Rise of Skywalker and bringing back, well, let me not say too many details in case somebody hasn't watched, but it, it, to me, all these nine movies, what uh, they call the Skywalker saga, is really that. It is the, the, the tale of Anakin Skywalker and of Palpatine. <laughs> 
you some could even argue that it's more the story of Palpatine than of Anakin Skywalker, because this guy, you know, quite literally orchestrated the events of six out of the nine movies. And if you again, if you consider how everything ended in the Skywalker saga, you could then argue that he orchestrated the entire thing. This is like, you know, it's a story that spans generations, right? We met Anakin when he was a little kid in Phantom Menace. He, we see him grow up. We see him have his own children and then his own children age. And these are two entire generations that are spanning this storytelling. It's impossible when you really get into the heart of these stories, it's impossible to not think about legacy because that's truly, truly what it became. You know, the legacy of Anakin Skywalker for better or for worse. And the result of that legacy on his children, the result of that legacy on the galaxy as a whole, it's phenomenal. There are so many stories that you could grab onto. You know, perhaps the Skywalker thing isn't necessarily your thing. Man, there are so many cool stories, other stories from other characters and other corners of the galaxy. People sometimes that don't even cross paths with the Skywalkers and their whole drama. In the years since the prequel trilogy got released, especially after Disney bought Lucasfilm, and they announced that, nope, the content creation for, for the Star Wars universe was not done. Uh, on the contrary, it was just the beginning. You know, a part of me just came to life when that announcement was made because I had already seen how Disney had treated Marvel. And even though they own Marvel, they allowed Marvel Studios to have complete freedom when it came to crafting the cinematic world, the cinematic universe. And so I had faith that Disney wouldn't try to wouldn't control too much. Now, whether they did or not, it's up for debate. There's some rumors roaming around about Kathleen uh about uh you know how much freedom is happening. I think that Lucasfilm uh suffers a bit from lack of direction in the way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had Kevin Feige, uh, Lucasfilm doesn't have that. It lost that when it had, when it lost George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy has not been able to lead creatively. She may be a great leader um, business wise, but creatively she has not been able to provide the leadership that Lucasfilm needs. And in particular, that Star Wars and all the connected properties, all the canon stories that are being told need. And we kind of saw that reflected in the mess that became this sequel trilogy. What began with uh, uh, what began with a very particular vision with uh, the Force Awakens kind of went in a very different direction in The Last Jedi. A lot of people don't like that movie. I personally love it, but whatever. And then the third movie was kind of retconning <laughs> some of the stuff from, from the second movie because it went back to J.J. Abrams' hands as director. And then they concluded in ways that for some people are pretty controversial. Um, I, I think that even with all that, the content that we've been able to get 
from other corners of the Star Wars universe has been so satisfying. The Clone Wars. So the Clone Wars, basically uh, episode one, Phantom Menace, Anakin Skywalker's a kid. Episode two, Attack of the Clones. Uh, that's when Anakin is kind of like a late teen or whatever. And during that film, we see the revelation of this clone army that has been created for the Grand Republic. And they begin a war towards the end of that film that we don't get to see on film. We skip right over when it comes time for Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3. We're now at the end of the Clone Wars. And about five years of time have passed between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. A war has been waged in the entire galaxy for five entire years. Enough that Anakin Skywalker is now older. Obi-Wan is now older. Um, people, characters have come and gone. You know, characters like Asajj Ventress and Ahsoka Tano. Characters that are, are extremely compelling have had enough time during those five years to have woven their way into the main narrative of the Star Wars characters and then woven their way out of it. All those years are told in the Clone Wars cartoon series. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how great that series is because we have an episode that is dedicated just to that. Um, you can go back and check it out. I don't know the episode number off the top of my head, but... I'll just say this, the, the stories that are told, if you are a Star Wars fan, you'll find those stories mind-blowing because they give you not only more details for the main storyline, but they give you so many peripheral storylines that it's it just adds on, it expands to this universe that you have come to grow and love. So, of course, you've seen the episodes where Joshua and I have reviewed um, or you've listened to the episode where we reviewed season seven, which was a surprise to all of us that season seven was green lit. Uh, we all thought that the Clone Wars had ended prematurely with, with season six, with a short season six. And then suddenly we got the announcement, boom, the series is going to be officially concluded. Now that Disney owns things, uh, Disney's going to produce the, uh, the last season of the Clone Wars. And man, it was a satisfying season. And for the majority of its episode, it had 12 episodes. And I would say that at least eight out of those 12 episodes to me were genuinely satisfying. And the stories that were told were... This is a mixed a mix bag here. Um, first of all, we got introduced to the Bad Batch fantastic characters then their whole story arc lasted what three four episodes then we got some backstory on where Ahsoka Tano had been since she left the Jedi Order and how she wove her way back into the main conflict of events and then we basically got what we had all wanted all of us who have watched the Clone Wars series in its entirety we got the final tie-in the complete tie-in to the events of Revenge of the Sith. And so they did it in a very clever way. They did it where they showed us just Ahsoka Tano's corner of things. Her reaction, how she navigated through Order 66, the murdering of all the Jedis by the clone army. 
it showed us that entire sequence of events, giving us hints as to where they fell in the timeline of Revenge of the Sith, the movie. Now, if you are looking forward to getting to the finale of Star Wars Clone Wars unspoiled, you may want to fast forward about 15 minutes or so. Uh, I'm going to be talking up the finale and the final season of Clone Wars. Um, so, yeah, this is your warning. Spoiler warning for Star Wars Clone Wars Season 7, final episodes. All right, so basically season, uh, season 7 of Clone Wars brought back Ahsoka into the narrative and concluded her story during the time frame of the Clone Wars themselves, those five years. Um, before this, we had seen her last, I believe, in the final episode of Season 5, where she uh, walked away from the Jedi Order. She was wrongfully accused of sabotage or betrayal, and um, the Jedi Council had disbanded her as a Jedi. Then, when Anakin proved her innocence, the Jedi Council tried to offer her her seat in the Jedi again, her position in the Jedi and she refused it, and she walked away and had a very heartbreaking conversation with Anakin at the end, and then she went off. Um, then this showed us basically what she'd been up to. Season 7 has shown us what she's been up to, starting in Episode 4 or 5, I think, of the season. Uh, we saw her interact with those two sisters uh, and do the whole spice run thing with the pikes, get caught, and while she's caught, she learns that Darth Maul is running a criminal organization of which the Pikes are a part of. Uh, she then teams up with Bo-Katan, who is um, a Mandalorian, uh, born to a high house of the Mandalorians. Her sister used to be the ruler of the Mandalorians uh, during earlier seasons of the Clone Wars. And uh, she teams up with her to take, out, to take down Maul, who's basically taken control of Mandalore, of the planet, from the shadows. So um, Ahsoka tries to get help from the Jedi to go in to liberate Mandalore and to defeat Maul. But instead, we see now the first crossover with Revenge of the Sith, where the Jedi are... Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in, uh, is informed that the Separatist army, the droid army, is attacking Coruscant. And they have to go because the Chancellor's in danger. Now that it immediately ties us in with the opening moments of the uh, of Revenge of the Sith, where Obi-Wan and Anakin are on their way to a big ship where the Chancellor is being held captive by, uh, by Count Dooku. So... All these events now start converging. During the events of the Siege of Mandalore, which is being conducted by Ahsoka Tano, Bo-Katan, her Mandalorian troops, and Ahsoka Tano was given Captain Rex and half of the 501st Legion of clone troopers to go and help with the Siege of Mandalore. So uh, during all these events, basically all the other events of uh, Revenge of the Sith are running parallel to that. 
and Anakin is being asked to spy on the Chancellor. The Chancellor asks for for Anakin to become his main his representative in the Jedi Council. Jedi Council refuses to give Anakin the rank of Master. Anakin feels betrayed by them. It adds on to his division inside of his heart, this slow tearing away from the Jedi Council. And um, basically we see Ahsoka now, her storyline, focusing on Maul heavily and on taking down Maul until finally they capture him and they have him imprisoned in this uh, Republic ship. And during that time, after they had caught him, this is when Order 66 is given out. And Ahsoka realizes, because Order 66 was given right after um, Anakin turns to the dark side, and Ahsoka realizes that something happened to Anakin. Something bad happened to Anakin. Darth Maul also senses that something happened in the dark side of the Force. The power shifted. And then Order 66 is executed. A ton of Jedi are killed. Ahsoka feels that as well in a very similar way to how Yoda felt it during the events of Revenge of the Sith, the movie. Um, he's in Kashyyyk with the uh, Wookiees and helping defend that planet from the droids. And he feels when all the Jedi are starting to be killed. So basically what we're what we're let what we lead to is this one final episode where Ahsoka helps Rex take out that chip, the inhibitor chip in his brain that forces him to obey orders from Palpatine. And so she liberates him, which now shows us how that happened because we know that it happened because Rex is he's around in the events of Star Wars Rebels, a cartoon series, which takes place after Clone Wars. Um, we just didn't know how it happened. And so now we find out how, how, the, how that went down. It was basically Ahsoka who saved him from that inhibitor chip. Um, thanks to him, though, because Fives, the clone trooper, he's the one that discovered this whole thing and tried to blow it up, but nobody paid attention to him, basically. And uh, then, basically, what we see is this final sequence where Ahsoka and Rex are trying to escape this ship all the clone troopers on the ship are going after them too. Maul manages to escape in the spaceship and he just darts off. He goes into hyperspace and we don't see any more of him uh, until, of course, we realize that he's still been pulling moves and doing things um, in the background in his whole criminal organization. And we see him, of course, come back during uh, the movie Solo, a Star Wars uh, story. But the rest of this episode, and basically the rest of the finale, is completely focused in on Ahsoka and Rex escaping this, this ship without killing their clone trooper friends, who have no choice but to obey Order 66. And what ensues, basically, is the crashing of the ship into this moon, Ahsoka and Rex manage to escape by the skin of their teeth. They then have this very heartfelt moment where they're mourning, basically. They're mourning all the fallen troopers. And it's a beautiful visual. Like the camera, quote-unquote camera, pans across the top over this massive ship that is now, you know, crumbled, that is now wrecked on the ground on this moon. 
And it's just a slow pan all the way up the length of the ship. And these ships have become so iconic for those of us watching the Clone War series that it starts pointing towards the end of an era, literally and figuratively, because these things are triangular in shape. So you have this slow pan of this triangle just starting to point, and it points right to where Ahsoka and Rex's ship is landed and the ship that they're going to take off in, the small ship. And then towards Ahsoka, who is standing in front of these little monuments that they created for the clone troopers, just like sticks or rifles with the helmets on top. And we see Ahsoka legitimately mourning these clone troopers. Now, there's something really important about Ahsoka. And it's the fact that she, this is her family. You know, this is the family that she's probably known the longest and the best. Because she was, you know, adopted by the Jedi to be trained as a Padawan at a very, very young age. So she knew the Jedi Temple and her friends there and her teachers there. But then when she was given the rank of Padawan to be to be to start learning to train to become a Jedi Knight, and she is put under the tutelage of Anakin Skywalker, this is now her life. She's known just like the clone troopers, she's known nothing but war. She's known nothing but battle. And these clone troopers have been more family to her than really anybody else. And so her loyalty to the troopers is something that is highlighted throughout these, especially these last two episodes of the show. Her undying loyalty, even to the end. I mean, she says something like, I know that these men are all willing to die just to capture me and kill me. But I am not going to be the one that takes their lives. So till the end, these men are brothers to her. And of course, to Rex as well. So the imagery of her mourning over, you know, looking over these helmets on the ground, on these stakes, on these sticks, it's so moving, man. It's so telling of the fact that this is the end of an era, you know? And then we see Ahsoka also wearing this cloak that we're going to see her wearing in future appearances on Clone Wars, on uh, Star Wars Rebels. And then basically it's implied that she takes off with... Um, with Rex and they speak maybe one one or two more words and then they take off and the rest of the of the episode is in complete silence and we fast forward basically to another season of time because uh, this planet is now like covered in in what I think is snow and now we're panning around and what we're seeing is a bunch of stormtroopers so clearly the Clone army has now been replaced by stormtroopers, and we see the little viper droid things, the droids that are like spy droids that hover and have these little tentacle-like things coming out of them. We see that we see them hovering around, so we know that we're in Empire times now. And then we see we hear Darth Vader's breathing, and we see Darth Vader walking up to the place where Ahsoka stood and mourned over the clone troopers and where she also dropped her lightsaber and so anakin or now darth vader picks up the the lightsaber ignites it turns it off turns around and walks off 
and you see his reflection walking off, reflected on the helmet of a stormtrooper, of a clone trooper, reflected on the on the glass part of a helmet of a clone trooper. And it's almost like this is Anakin Skywalker now turning his back, leaving behind his Padawan and these men who had also become like brothers to him. You know, these troopers who would have given their lives gladly to protect him and to serve him. And that's it. <laughs> that is how Star Wars, the Clone Wars series comes to an end. And it was moving, man. It was so moving. I I have to say, like, I, I wish that I could have gotten more. I really do. I wish that I could have seen more of what was happening in, you know, other corners. I don't know, maybe show us, you know, some of the the Jedi who didn't go down in one shot, how they how they survived, you know, show us more of that, you know, give us an illustration of what happened with some of these other characters. Um, Asajj Ventress, I know that she is actually, um, she doesn't die. And by the end of the Clone War, she goes off and does her own thing. She actually ends up teaming up with this um, Jedi uh his last name is Voss. I forget his first name. But he, uh, Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss, I first uh, heard of this guy during uh, in a comic book. And I really dug him. He's kind of like a rebellious sort of Jedi. He also trained Ayla Secura, the Twi'lek Jedi, the blue-skinned Twi'lek Jedi. Um, but this guy was very, uh, how can I say, uh, un... Uh, I was about to say unconstitutional, but no, he was not unconstitutional. He Well, maybe a little. He was uh, very unconventional. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. He was very unconventional as a Jedi, and he hung around a lot with, like, the dark circles, like the, you know, the shady uh, part of the galaxy, and the Jedi used them for very specific types of operations that required that familiarity with the underworld of the galaxy. So very interesting Jedi. He actually ends up teaming up with and eventually falling in love with Asajj Ventress. And I know this because of a novel uh, that I that I listened to on um, on Audible called Dark Disciple. Very good novel if you if you're interested in um, getting some good novel that is canon. Um, very cool novel to get into. Uh, but again, my point is like I wish I could have gotten more side stories of all these characters that we met throughout the events of Clone Wars. Just little glimpses. Give me an hour-long final episode. I would have loved that. I feel like the the series has earned uh, an hour-long finale, but we didn't get that. We got a 23-minute finale, and it left. I think it left me with a good feeling because it it ended with Ahsoka Tano, which is really the character that has been the common denominator of this entire series, except for season six. And they paid respects to the character from beginning to end of this series. And I love it. We saw her grow up throughout these five years. We saw her, you know, learn herself, get to know herself, learn her skill set. And by the time that season seven rolls around, the, the action scenes that we see from Ahsoka Tano, I mean... She is an absolute badass, man. She is one of the coolest, most skilled Jedi that you will see on any kind of screen, cartoon or live action, whatever. And I love that they showed us that. 
especially because we get to see more of her during Star Wars Rebels, and especially because we're going to get to see her live-action debut in Mandalorian Season 2, played by Rosario Dawson. So, so much excitement, man. And I think this ends the the spoiler section um, of the show. So, uh, so I won't talk spoilers anymore for uh, Clone Wars. Now, um, the future of Star Wars. Uh, again, The Mandalorian was such a hit. I can only imagine that it's going to keep on going. Disney has already greenlit Mandalorian Season 3. When Mandalorian Season 1 released, Season 2 was already in production. So they're kind of ahead of schedule. And I'm so glad that the everything with COVID-19 didn't halt production and didn't halt the, pro, the, the, the momentum that the show had set with last year's first season. So now we're going to get Season 2 um, coming in the fall of this year. And, uh, you know, we're already, they're already going to start production on season three. They're in pre-production right now, which means because of COVID, they can't film or anything, but pre-production, a lot of planning, figuring out logistics and all that, uh, writing scripts and all, all that good stuff. So they're in the middle of all that right now. And, uh, so there's a bright future there. It's been announced that there's going to be a female led star Wars spinoff show. I would have to suspect it's going to be some of the one of the characters from the Mandalorian, maybe Cara Dune. Uh, I think that she has done Gina Carano has done an incredible job with that character. I love how she fits into the Star Wars world. I'd love to see more from that character. There's also, of course, Ahsoka Tano, who's going to be introduced in season two, and I would love to see a series completely focused on her and what she did after the Empire fell in the events of uh, Return of the Jedi. So, which is where the Mandalorian takes place. Uh, we've got the new content that is coming from Star from Lucasfilm, all focused in the time period of the High Republic, back in the day, back before the Skywalker saga, back before Palpatine. There were exciting stories being told when the Jedi were true protectors of, of peace in the galaxy, when they weren't generals in a war. Um, brand new characters, characters that we've never heard of, characters we've never seen before. There's going to be uh, novels, there's going to be comic books, there's going to be films eventually, I'm sure, that will make their way into this new period of time in the universe. I would love to see a future past beyond uh, the Skywalker saga. As much as I'm excited for the High Republic stuff, I'm down for it. I will be there. I'll watch it. I'll read it. I'll listen to it, etc. I would love to see more of the future because if there's one thing that the Star Wars, what is now classified as Star Wars legends, which are these comic books and novels that were written that are no longer considered canon. Um, if there's one thing that those writers did was move the narrative forward. You know, they, there were many stories that were told Years after Skywalker, the Skywalkers were out of the picture, you know, new age, a new age of the Republic, a new age of the Jedi, um, new force sensitive clans and individuals. I mean, really cool stories. I would love to see more of that future. Um, I imagine that we're eventually going to get it. I would prefer to hear, to see, get, get glimpses of the future instead of going back into the past. Because ultimately, the past can only lead to one place, and that is 
the events of Phantom Menace. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I'll go along for that ride, but I would much rather see something beyond everything that we already know, you know, cause clearly history continued in this galaxy far, far away. And I'd be very, very curious to see where it went in the official canon, right? Um, Star Wars Battlefront 2, the game, I'm still in the middle, in the midst of playing that. Uh, I'm enjoying it. It's a cool game. I uh, can't wait to see, you know, further games down the road. Um, there's also, of course, comics. Uh, I've been following the Darth Vader series and the comics for Marvel. Uh, looking forward to continuing my collection, my hardcover collection on those Vader novels, uh, graphic novels. Then, uh, I mean, anything, bring it. I'm going to be a Star Wars fan till the day I die. And Josh is a Star Wars fan, and I'm sure that his you know, kids, if he has kids, will follow in our footsteps. And we will have many, many geeky conversations around the whole Star Wars, Star Wars uh Galaxy far, far away content for years to come. Star Wars inspires me. Star Wars feeds my imagination. Star Wars is like a parallel world, a parallel universe to me. Because again, it is this whole other galaxy. And it has a political system. And it has its own you know, societal systems throughout all the galaxy and all of the planets. And it's, it's interesting. It's like escaping to another galaxy and spending time there and being inspired by the stories there. And there's something about being able to see stories in a world that is not similar to your own that allows you to easily, easier, allows you to easily rather pull inspiration and lessons and morals from those stories than just seeing stories that are told in your own world, you know, limited to the rules of your world. And I love Star Wars for that. And I always will. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait, man. I can't wait to, to, to see this story continuing to be told, um, continuing to inspire me and to feed my imagination and to entertain me. Cause I, I am, I'm infinitely entertained by the world that George Lucas created. And I hope you guys are too. Thank you guys so much for joining me in today's episode, celebrating May the 4th, uh, celebrating Star Wars, celebrating the end of the Clone Wars cartoon series, celebrating what is to come from a galaxy far, far away. I really, really appreciate you guys' time. Listen, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying the episodes, I would love it if and appreciate it if you guys would share the content. Reach out to a geeky friend, send them a link, share share the link to a specific episode that you liked. Um, tell somebody about it. They'll appreciate you for it because geeks are always looking for people to have these conversations with. Trust me, I'm one of them. Uh, you can also find us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at G101podcast. Uh, stay tuned for the continuation of our Cowabunga series. We're reaching the end of that. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, can't wait to conclude that, wrap it up with a nice pepperoni pizza. That's a good idea. We should eat pepperoni pizza for the final episode. Yes. You see, the greatest ideas happen when I'm talking about Star Wars, even that benefit Ninja Turtles. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. I will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.
human has been neutralized. Game over. Hey guys, so in the episode I mentioned a book called Dark Disciple, which tells the story of Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss, who uh, meet up and go on their own adventures. There are so many great Star Wars novels that are canon novels. That means that they're officially part of all these awesome stories that are being told that you can tap into in Audible format through audible.com. You've heard Joshua and I talk uh, wonders of Audible, and that's because it's a continuously entertaining platform for us. It's something you can do while you're doing other stuff. You can fall asleep to it. You can cling to it. You can drive to it. Whatever it is, Audible can be there to accompany you. If you're interested in checking out Audible for the first time and grabbing one of those Star Wars books for absolutely free, you can do so by visiting audibletrial.com slash g101 again that's audibletrial.com slash g101 by going to that link you'll be able to get your first book or your first month in other words of audible absolutely free no cost to you and then if you decide to stick around after your free trial you'll be helping out the show by doing so and we would greatly greatly appreciate it so again don't miss out on the opportunity Give Audible a try. Snatch yourself a nice Star Wars book and you'll be on your way to discovering a new form of entertainment. I guarantee it. AudibleTrial.com slash G101. Thanks, guys. Much love.